Give me the go. There is an announcement. Yes, there is an announcement. I forgot to uh, give it. The youth group is going snow tubing at Mohawk Mountain, Lord willing, February 27th. Because of COVID, we have to reserve some tubing hills, etc. So um, we're going to need everyone to try to give us a decision by this Friday, whether you're going or not. All you youth and or really, it's, I'm talking to the parents because they're probably the ones paying for it. So um, we're going to try to have a decision who's going. Even let me know if you're not going so that we can um, figure out exactly how we want to make reservations. February 27th. It's on a Saturday at Mohawk Mountain. For times, it's probably going to be actually based on um, what reservations we get. So I would like to get up there really in tube from like 10 o'clock in the morning till noon and then have a little lunch afterwards at McDonald's and then drive back. So that means we'd have to leave here around probably 830. Um, but more details will be coming. So if you just would like to go, uh, please let me or Kim know by Friday. Um, it costs $25 a person, and yet Brantford Bible Chapel supports our young people. So you only have to pay 15 okay? You only have to pay 15 If money's ever a problem, again, please feel free to talk to me and Kim. Not a big deal. Okay, we'll, we'll get you in. We'll get you in. But make sure you give your children lots of money for McDonald's on the way home. All right. <laughs> we are in the book of Daniel. Oh, and Josh, yes, we have to talk. I apologize. My wife said, did you talk to Josh last night about tubing? So I'm really just apologizing to you to tell my wife I'm sorry. She told me to talk to you, and I just forgot to. We were just talking about so many good things. All right, the book of Daniel, chapter 2. I really appreciated uh, Dave George um, and his message last week. The breakup of this chapter, uh, me and uh, Brian were talking. I mean, it's, you know, it's a big chapter, but it's the breakup's interesting. There's a lot there. Like Dave was talking to me on the phone being like, you know, I, I really don't get to talk about the dream. I said, that's right, you don't. So don't. Uh, <laughs> but even this, the interpretation of the dream is kind of broken up the way we did it. So Brian will be covering some of this interpretation next week. But I just want to encourage us again to remember, you know, I was talking about... Um, this book, we're actually going to try to review some of it at youth group as well uh, when we get together here at the chapel. And one of the first things we talked about in January was really the setting of how important the setting is when you're reading the Bible. I, I would have to say again, I, I was telling the youth that it was, I don't, I don't even really know. It, it was not um, early in my life where I really realized what it meant or even had an idea that Israel is in captivity when this book's going on. It was a lot further in my life when I started to do that. And even studying it now because we had to preach and stuff, it just keeps coming over and over in my mind. So as we read this book, yes, it is a prophetic book, and there's lots of cool stuff about prophecy. It's also one of the only books where the whole setting is you're in a pagan nation. We're not in Israel. We're not, you know, we're not dealing with people who should be better and they're worshiping idols even in Israel. We are in a pagan nation. And how do we survive in a world that's just so evil and has no idea who God is. And so we go through all those things. I'd like to compare and contrast somewhat today the difference between the world and us, the difference between Babylon 
and Daniel and how he's constantly going to kind of go against the world and its system. So let's start reading again here in verse 24 of chapter uh, 2. It says, Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded the wise men, the astrologers, the mag uh, magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who, re who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than any one living. But for our sakes who make known the interpretation of the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. And I have more, but we're going to stop there for a little bit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that uh, you've told us what's going to happen later on. It's comforting, it's encouraging that we know our future. Uh, Lord, increase our faith, we pray, that you would help us to understand the reality of the fact that uh, you're in control. Everything works out in the end. We get heaven. And uh, it's tough. It's tough living in the the minutes and the days down here on earth. And yet again, Lord, there will be that time where we're in heaven. And I'm assuming just probably looking back going, I can't believe we even worried about those things when it was only 10 years, 20 years, and we've been in heaven for so long. And so help us to have that mindset. And yet we also thank you that you are the God that is personal with us in the minutes and the days. And you are closer to us uh, than we could even imagine. Lord, be honored and glorified during this time. Let us be edified as saints. In your name, amen. So remember, the, the background of the story is that Daniel, again, was a slave taken from Israel. He's uh, a eunuch, probably, um, and he's serving the king. The king has a dream, throws out a crazy request. Someone better not only interpret my dream, but also tell me what the dream was. The world and his people say, you can't do this. So he goes, okay, all of you will die. And then Daniel has a prayer meeting with his friends. The Lord blesses him, gives him uh, what the dream is and the interpretation. And that's where we are here. Okay, that's where we are here in this. So one of the things that caught my eye uh, before we get to this dream here in verse 24 is Daniel's reaction to the fact that he wants to save the other magicians and say sewers and, and those who um, were supposed to tell this dream. So in verse 24, he says, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. And this is kind of like a, a frantic thing. In the next verse, you see it says, Ariok quickly brought Daniel before. 
the credence has gone out. These guys are literally about to get killed. And Daniel's kind of like, hey, listen, do not kill these guys. Now, that seems kind of nice, but why? <laughs> if we talk again about all the background, he has literally had to go to training for three years to learn about their false gods, how Babylon's going to work, to learn their language, to be ripped out of his nation. These are all the people that he's trying to save. One of the themes that has just uh, been going through my mind when we started this was that whole phrase of he grew with favor of men and of God. Okay? Or the Lord Jesus. Um, we, my brother talked about it with the Lord Jesus and the Gospels. There are those in the Bible that grew in favor, not only with God, but with men. And so I was thinking about that here. Daniel is obviously going to grow in favor with these guys because he's saving their lives. And what are the ramifications of that? The Bible doesn't really talk about it, but there's got to be some serious consequences. That whenever Daniel, as he gets elevated in the kingdom here in Babylon, he's an authoritative figure. When things come against him that are going to go against his faith, those who he's around, those who are even under him as he's elevated, he gets to basically say, I saved your life one day. That's got to go far in getting favor with those who you work with. That's got to go far. We earn favor with men by acting Christ-like. And here's why the practical application of that matters, I think. You earn the opportunity to have them listen to you. Do you think, as Daniel, now he's going to interpret this dream, he, he's kind of like the main guy. He saved all their lives, and he's telling you, guys, you have the wrong gods. Let me tell you about the true God. Do you think that conversation has a little more weight for the fact that he just saved them? You think they're going to kind of blow him off and be like, yeah, Daniel, uh, we don't really want to hear from you, you foreigner. I, there's got to be a point where Daniel gets at least an opportunity to now share his God, Jehovah, with these guys because he just saved their lives. The reason we as believers need to grow sometimes in favor with men is for opportunities to share the truth. That's what we do. In Proverbs chapter 3, it says this. This is right before that famous Proverbs uh, 3, 5, lean not on your, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding. The two verses before that. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. One of the reasons we are merciful and loving and yet we speak truth to the world is so that we might grow in favor with them so that we might be able to share with them our God. And you know those two things of, of love and truth. That's where sometimes we, uh, you know, get that out of balance. When we talk to the world and we basically tell them they're a sinner going to hell and that's truthful, if there's no love involved in that, well, it's probably not heard the right way. You probably don't gain a lot of favor with them. If you're so loving, 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 and you never tell them really the truth of where their life's going, well, you probably don't love them as much as you think. And so these two, mercy and truth, come together and you grow in favor. You grow in favor not only in the sight of God, but of man. 
the fact that Daniel wants to be merciful to these guys really just shows, again, his character, that he's living for the Lord. He's living for the Lord. I don't like to uh, bring it up, but it just fits. You know, it's NFL. And uh, people are already talking about the Tom Brady effect. Switching to a new team, and there's been tons of uh, articles written and all that stuff this week. Is, is the effect real? And his teammates would say, it's real. When he came here, he just sets an atmosphere. He sets an atmosphere. And why am I saying that? Brady actually grows in favor with his teammates. He really does. And because of that, they achieve more. And he has opportunity. Do you really think that if he's just a jerk, that they're going to listen to him? Guys don't play in the NFL for jerks. I'm telling you, because it's a physical game. They will do what Brady asked to do because he has actually earned favor with them. And so, again, in our own sphere of influence, if you're a person that goes to your job every day, if you're a person in your own house, the people in your own house don't like you, you, you need to change. You need to change. We are be those who have favor with men for the sole purpose that we might be able to bring God up. By doing this, he's obviously an example of Christ. Jesus Christ, again, had the parallel there of leaving his home in heaven and coming to a foreign land down here on earth to a people that did not respect him to save them. When we share the gospel, even with our enemies, do you want those guys saved? All the people that are ticking you off right now in the world, all the people that are getting us angry in the world for whatever decisions they are, those are the ones we need to share the gospel with. Because they're on their way to hell. <laughs> and again, our example would be Jesus Christ. He came to a world that just completely ignored who he was. And he did nothing but serve. And he did all these miracles. And he actually bettered all their lives. And they still put him on a cross. And he said, yep. Because that's what needed to be done. So I could be with you forever. That's the gospel. And so we look at it that way, we think, of course, Daniel should have saved these guys. But if we look at it in our day in, day out, who we're working with on a daily basis and who we're having interaction with, do we meet that bar? As Daniel comes into um, this conversation with the king, it is interesting, again, the contrast. Remember, Daniel says here in verse 27, Listen, these wise men, astrologers, musicians, I can't say that word, and soothsayers, they cannot declare this to the king. And remember previously, it was going over last week, these guys are the ones that said, listen, only the gods know this answer, and they don't dwell among flesh. That was the world's perspective. There's these false gods. These are the things that we put our trust into, and yet they're not personal with us. They cannot dwell with us. They can't give us the answer. So Daniel has a different perspective. He says, actually, there is a God in heaven, and he does give answers, and I know him. The world is constantly putting their trust in things that they actually know really won't benefit us a lot. But i got to put my trust in something. And we as believers are sitting here like Daniel saying, I know the God of heaven. He can give me the answers to my questions. 
and he can answer your questions as well. I thought it was interesting as I was thinking of Daniel saying these things to remember the verse that says, God shows no favoritism. Why in the world does Daniel get to interpret this dream? Again, I'm not even close to dogmatic. It's just my, my imagination. But there is biblical principles of this. Is that your level of trust in the Lord and obedience allows a deeper level for him to show you things. That's just the truth. There's a lot of verses that talk about it. You know, you could just simply say it was God's will. He just picked Daniel. But I got to tell you, Daniel's got a rep too. And I think God enjoys to show us deep things. He does. And so sometimes I wonder, why isn't God showing me more? It probably has to do with me and my lack of faith or my lack of obedience. Not that God doesn't want to show me. He shows no personal favoritism. It's not like he likes Daniel more than the other guys. Another contrast here of the world versus Daniel is verse 29. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. Everyone realize this part of the story? Well, some would say it was only a dream. I would, I would tend to go the other way, is that King Nebuchadnezzar is laying on his bed one night, and what is he thinking about? What happens in the future? He is a king of an empire with absolute ultimate rule. We're talking about it later. We've talked about it previously here on Sunday mornings. Whatever he says, there is no checks and balances. It goes. Ultimate rule. And he's laying on his bed at night going, what happens in the future? You think he lacks anything? He doesn't lack anything at all. Think he's got fame? Sure. He's, he, he's what all the movies are about. He's actually running the world. He did it. <laughs> he actually is running the world. And he's laying on his bed going, what happens in the future? Maybe what happens after I die? Who, what happens to the empire? I want to show you again that every human thinks like this. Regardless of where your circumstances are, they're constantly thinking what happens in the future. King Solomon wrote about this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 through 19. Let's look at that. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 18 says, Then I hated all my labor, in which I told her under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will rule over all my labor, in which I toiled, and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. There is an absolute human truth that no matter what you do, no matter what you accomplish, 
one day you die and someone else takes all your riches anyway. And you don't know what they're going to do with what you spent your whole life investing and building into. That's what Solomon was saying. I mean, he just, wisest man, he's sitting there thinking, I have done and built up for myself so much. And whoever comes in after me, they could just wipe it all out right away. And so human beings have this idea of like, what, what happens when I die? Or what happens in my future? This week, talk about retirement and all those kinds of things. This is where the Bible says it's a vanity. It's meaningless. Everything you're working for, you're going to probably give to your kids or something else. <laughs> I just want to ask the question, are we talking about the future right now? I think many of us are going, what kind of world is my kids going to grow up in? When do we get to go back to normal? Many of us are actually worried about the future and what holds for the next 10, 20, 30 years of our lives. What will the country look like? I would like to remind us that God has told us the future. Not all the details. And he's also told us to stop worrying about the future. Today's got enough problems. Stop worrying about tomorrow. It's not a little cute phrase. It's not a poster on a wall. It's actually a command. <laughs> stop worrying about the future. I have it. I'm in control. And so I've just been convicted again this week of, yeah, listen, there's real feelings and there's real concerns about where the future lies. But at the same time, oh, we really don't have that much influence. We really don't. And God's in control. And the reason I, I say that, I'd also like to say, it was His grace that He actually told us what's going to happen in the future. Can you imagine if God's like, well, you're going to die one day, and then, you know, we'll see what happens. And then it was like, surprise, you got heaven. It wasn't like that. In fact, from a personal point of view, He has promised us to be absent with the bodies, be present with the Lord. And then even from a, a worldview, He's actually told us what's going to happen. Now, I know people interpret end times differently. I don't think anyone really misinterprets this, that Jesus wins and everyone else loses. That's what happens at the end. <laughs> and you're on his side. So I just want to encourage us again. Maybe we should stop worrying about the future and start worrying about our relationship with the Lord. Worrying about our relationship with the Lord. I'll tell you this again, that Daniel in this is also humble. He says, but as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. Really, Daniel, I would have taken this opportunity to just get a little credit. Hey, you know, you've kind of messed me up, kind of brought me out of my nation. Um, you made me go to school for three years. By the way, I have the answer. Can we do a little deal here? Maybe I get a nice house on the hill. You know, I don't know. Maybe I get a nice little salary. In this moment, before the king, Daniel is sitting there saying, listen, I, I, trust me, let's start out this way. This answer wasn't given to me because I'm very wise. It's because of who I know. <laughs> this is the contrast of the world and Daniel. 
of, of us, the church, and the world out there right now. We constantly go back and give our credit to God and who he is in our lives. And that's why we have answers for the world. But the world keeps going, oh, no, you've got to be this. You've got to be that. And that's how you get your answers. And we as believers should be the ones that are saying, no, we have answers. And it has nothing to do with us. It has to do with who we know, who we know. He is loving and kind. Daniel, he's loving and kind, and he's humble in this whole interaction. Completely opposite of the world. Completely opposite. So let's talk about the dream. Let's read verse 31 here. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image, this great image whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together, and it became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is a dream. Now we'll tell you the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, and then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything like iron that crushes. That kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others." I actually just kept reading it for context. I was assigned up to verse 39. So this is where I say we're not going to get all of it. And Brian is, I'm sure, will do a good job covering it um, next week. But remember this whole dream in the context. Okay, so some, this is obviously prophetic. Okay, it's pretty amazing. Um, prophetic. But I also want us to think of, this is what I've been trying to think of as well, is why in the world does, does God even give this dream to Nebuchadnezzar? Like, why is he going to tell him what's going to happen in the future? I think it's a lesson to teach us this is how the world goes. And what, how do we remain faithful to our God as we see the world play, you know, kind of played out in its governments and things of that nature. Okay, so I'm going to try to recap quickly here. You have a big statue, okay? You have a big statue, you got a head of gold, the chest and arms are silver, um, the belly is bronze, the legs of iron, the feet and toes, you got some more clay and stuff mixed in. I'll quickly tell you what it is. Every, and this is actually, um, you know, so it says the interpretation here, but the head of gold is the empire of Babylon, okay? The chest and arms were the Medo-Persian empire, okay? The belly was the Greek empire, and Rome, the legs of iron, that was the fourth empire. Okay, so basically, this is, at this moment in time of the book, he's telling them these are the world empires that are going to come out. Okay, because remember what Nebuchadnezzar was actually thinking. What happens in the future? And God's actually going to tell him, 
these are the four empires that are coming. And Larry will, I'm sure, touch into this because this correlates with the end of Daniel and things of that nature. But number one, okay? I will tell you the practical encouragement I wanted to get from the dream. Understand how the worlds work, okay, in their kingdoms. But let me tell you this too. Me and uh, Kamala were talking to Dave George last week after the message. We're just standing right here. And he was kind of asking Kamala um, about, um, you know, these events and things like that. So basically, here's what it is. Okay, I am amazed. If you look at scholars, um, and again, I... I don't know much of this stuff, but the book of Daniel, actually many people said could not have been written in the time of like 600 B.C. because it's, it's just too accurate. Who in the world could have predicted empires to rise like this? And in fact, what they were, like it says the Persian Empire. He talks about later on in the book of Daniel, Alexander the Great for Greece, things like that. Now again, people interpret different, but almost everyone agrees these are the four empires how in the world did someone actually predict four empires to the fact where many scholars would say the book of daniel was written way after the roman empire there's no way it was written here and what dave george is telling the camilla was um that when they found the dead sea scrolls a couple years back they found a book of daniel proving that it was written well over two thousand years ago the reason I say that is this is what uh, Dave George said. He said, listen, we don't have blind faith. We actually have solid faith. We actually have evidence. And I want to remind us of that. This story we've heard sometimes our whole lives, and we take it for granted. This is crazy to me that a historical book was written over 2,000 years ago that predicted four world empires, and they all came true. Why doesn't the world jump on that? Why do, why do we never hear anyone in the world going, well, you know, that, that Daniel thing is kind of crazy. We should at least check that out. There is so much evidence for biblical truth, and the world is blind. They're blind, but we don't have blind faith, guys. This is a historical book that predicted kingdoms, and it came true because God said so. Be encouraged in the faith in that. Now, here's the other parts of the dream I wanted to talk about. In verse, um, let me see here. In verse 30, um, 39. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth, and then the fourth kingdom. Okay. My question is this. Why is that kingdom inferior to Babylon? Why is that kingdom inferior to Babylon? There's a lot of different thoughts, okay? But I'm going to give you mine. There's two things we want to look at. One, the character of the people. They would say that humans just kind of got worse and worse, <laughs> You know, so from the Babylonian Empire, there really wasn't a lot of, quote, immoral stuff going on. 
then the Persian Empire came next and some stuff's creeped in. And by the time you get to the Roman Empire, we know there's a lot there of just immorality, sexual morality, um, killing people. I mean, they, you know, crucifixion was their idea. There's just some nasty things. So some people would say character. Well, I do think that's a biblical principle, at least, is that from the curse of sin, don't think that we've gotten better. We're getting worse. It's hard in this technological world, in all of our advancements, when we, you know, think about, man, like Abraham walking around in a tent, and we have huge buildings and electricity and, and internet, and, like, we look like we've gotten a lot better. But in God's standards, we've gotten worse. I'm going to give you one little thing. I don't want this at all to be political. It's just, it's been interesting to me. Because I did this when we did Wednesday um, Theology. Uh, we talked about human nature. And they were, you know, the stats would say it costs $30 billion a year to solve world hunger. $30 billion a year. One country just did $4 trillion in stimulus. That would solve world hunger for over 120 years. And we suddenly just had the money for, to do it. That's one country's stimulus. There's stimulus going on all over the world. And yet we've had world hunger forever. And we never could get together as humans and actually try to solve it. Now, I know that's a huge conversation. It's very simple to say, and there's tons of different factors. But when you look at us as humanity, war still happening all the time. All the time. Injustice still happening all the time. We should have more now than ever, and yet our families are broken to pieces. We're getting worse. We're getting worse. So that might be some of the context here, that as these kingdoms win, just remember, we're not getting better as humans, guys. We really aren't. Here's what I think it is. It's interesting to study all of these kingdoms and what they were, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire. Again, Alexander the Great, um, some of the reasons I would say that here's why I think what I'm about to say is true is that when it just comes to like conquering land or even wealth, they were not inferior to Babylon. They conquered more than Babylon. They, they had more money and wealth than Babylon. As these things progressed, the Romans really went far in some of their conquering. Okay, so if you look at it that way, how is it inferior? Well, here's what I think it is. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, Babylon. Now remember, the book of Daniel, we're talking about the world's way versus God's way. It's a gold head because the government structure is whatever he says goes. That's why it's the most valuable. Whatever he says goes. And every single empire that has come after that got more and more involved with, we cannot have one person tell us what to do. We have got to include more and more people. So, for example, in someone like, say, the Greek Empire, you might have had a ruler, but yet as they conquered other things, then they made rulers of these other provinces. And they had say over there and not ultimate rule over here. Does that make sense? So as it broke down, when you get to uh, the Roman Empire, remember Paul in the uh, scriptures would say, hey, can you whip me as a Roman? I have rights 
as a Roman. So the law was there to actually say, listen, as a Roman citizen, I have, I have specific rights that even the leader of the Roman Empire cannot mess with. What does all this mean? I'll, I'll write it another way. Um, I forgot who said this. Um, it says, the kings of Persia were the worst race of men that ever governed an empire. Politically, the power of the central government in which the nobles share with the king, being weakened by the growing independence of the provinces, was inferior to that of Nebuchadnezzar, whose sole word was law throughout his empire. Okay? So you have a, a, a time in history where Nebuchadnezzar, whatever he said went, and then as these kingdoms came out afterwards, they included a lot more law, a lot more rules, a lot more let's get more people involved so that we don't have one person running the show, which actually sounds interesting, right? It sounds good. kind of sounds like a democracy. So it's very interesting to me when we read this. Why is that? Because how does God rule? A theocracy. Whatever he says goes. There is no one that gets to argue with God. There's no one that just go, well, I have some rights too, and I think, I think we're going to do it this way. That is completely false. This is what human thinking does. They ignore God more and more and more, and they keep trying to elevate themselves, saying we can figure things out ourselves. We can figure out what's best for us to the point where now in history, we really are truly forgetting God, period, right? We're smart enough to figure this out. That's why it's inferior, guys. The Christian is supposed to have a life that says, yeah, whatever he says is what I'm supposed to do. I don't come with an agenda going, well, let's, you know, that's what it's supposed to be. And aren't you glad for that? In other words, when we are in heaven, I don't want anyone running heaven except Jesus Christ at all. I don't want, I cannot tell, I don't want anyone even close to making decisions in heaven except Jesus Christ. Don't ruin that place. He has ultimate rule, Jesus Christ. That is our government that we're supposed to follow. And that's how it's supposed to be in your personal life. What he says goes. That's it. End of discussion. You're going to see in this dream, I'm going to leave it for Brian, but um, that rock is Jesus Christ, and it's a picture of him coming in and wiping out all these kingdoms because his kingdom reigns forever because he has ultimate say. Ultimate say. But I would leave us with one thing. Again, I just like to, to think of this. I always try to think of Israel's, uh, w how they got where they are. Remember, they rebelled against God so much and for so long that God says the only remedy is for you to be captives in another land. That's where they were at spiritually. Well, isn't it interesting? Do you think, again, this is all in my mind, if Israel actually ever followed the Lord, would they have become an empire? Like the Babylonians, like the Persians, Egyptians. I don't see why not. And yet, 
right now they are captives in another foreign land because they refused to obey their Lord. That's why. So I just want to, you know, sounds like I'm ending on a sour note. I don't want to do that. I want to encourage you. But I want to remind us, what are we missing out on? Because we don't submit. I don't think we'll ever really fully know. But I'm going to tell you, I've always believed we are missing out on a lot. You talk about favor with God, favor with men. You talk about just your life in general, how it is. We miss out on a lot that God wanted to give us, still wants to give us. But we refuse to do it His way. His way. So I want to encourage us. God has told us the future. He's secured the future. And he's constantly telling us, just follow me. I'm the ultimate rule in your life, and it will go well with you. I just hope we're not missing out a lot by doing it our own way. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you are gracious and kind and slow to anger, abounding in grace and love. Um, Lord, we... We don't want to be like the world, and yet we are so many times like the world. We want to be different. Uh, we don't want to um, buy into the nonsense. We want to speak with grace and truth on our lips and love. Um, we don't want to, quote, get to their level. We are sons of God. We are heaven-bound. We are uh, men and women of your kingdom. Help us to see that perspective. We, we know the world systems are ultimately doomed, and yet we join in on them all the time. Lord, just help us to separate ourselves from the world. Help us to do things your way. In your name, amen.